Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Adi. This week, we continue our series over the Gospel of John. Enjoy. It's in Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Bill, what is it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, faithfulness. Okay. Okay, so faithfulness goes right here. There we go. Thank you, Phil. So the reason why I put that up on the board is because I was thinking about Peggy's question last week during the sermon today. So I know, I know, I should have been listening. I should have. But see, since I'm doing two services now, I got two cracks at it. So... I can, my mind can wander in early service because I know I'll get the refresher version in the late service. So it's the perfect deal. And if I listen in the early service, well, what does that say about what happens in the late service? So there you go. No, that is not what happens. Okay. All right. So the, the thought I was having, and this is interesting to me. I wonder why this happens. The question that you had about the difference between feeling something and knowing something. I mean, I'm kind of saying it the way I said it and not the way you said it. I had like three other people ask me that same thing this week. And it wasn't here. It was over in Fort Worth. And so I was like, holy cow, like, has Peggy been calling people up or, (laughs) you know, what's going on? Or is this just kind of one of those sort of like uh, cosmic things, you know, that's on people's mind? And maybe it is, all right? Maybe it is. But the, but the question was, the gist of the question, I think, was how can we be sure that you have something if you don't feel it? Or, and that's not exactly how you asked it, but that's, that's kind of that wishing that you felt something that you know you have. And it has, had to do with the presence of God's Spirit. And you could take it into the area of the fruit of the Spirit as well in terms of that, that what does it say or what does it mean when God promises me that I have something, that's the objective reality of it, right? But what do I do if circumstances in life or situations I'm dealing with or just chronic everything up in the air in the world is creating an obstruction to the enjoyment of it, or the, the, the uh, feeling of it, or the, the presence of it in that emotional way. Now, some people would say, if you don't feel it, then you don't have it. And by the way, that's very popular today. People today, a lot of people today, measure the existence of something on the basis of whether or not they feel it. So they say, well, if you feel it, then it must be so, and if you don't feel it, it must not be so. Okay, that's very popular today. But the problem with that is, a problem with that, is that feelings come and go. What are you going to do if you wake up one morning and you feel numb? And we all maybe have been there at one time or another. You have no feeling. Does that mean that somehow then the reality of what you have in God's spirit isn't with you that day because you didn't feel it? I would sort of argue, no, that's, I mean, that's what people think, but that's a pretty tenuous way to have to live your life. So when you think in terms of 
the, uh, the fact that we have this by virtue of God's grace. Okay, we can put that in there. Phil, are you going to be able to re- reproduce this and put it up on the board for the, for the podcast? I'll take a picture of it. Okay, thanks. Um, um, that Because that'll help. Then I don't have to keep telling people what's up there because I have a hard time describing it myself. Is that when we have it by virtue of God's grace, and then this is a byproduct of the grace that he gives us, then you could almost argue that not that it's not important whether you feel it or not, it's just that the reality of it is not dependent on whether you feel it or not. And so you think about that from that perspective, what could get in the way or create an obstacle to my feeling those things uh, as opposed to my having those things in terms of uh, what uh, God's Spirit works in me? What could get in the way? Or what could create an obstacle? What? Fear. Fear is a big one, right? So fear is, and and a lot of people today are feeling a lot of fear. If we put fear in there and if we put anxiety in there, because that's kind of the body's reaction to fear, okay? That is something that creates an obstacle to feeling that, right? Because have you ever been anxious before? Yeah, like me right now, uh, 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 test anxiety or some other kind of, you know, uh, you're driving down the road and uh, you slow down and you look in your rearview mirror and you're thinking the guy behind me is not slowing down. All right, so that's that moment, right? And in that moment, this takes over. And what you feel is this and what you do not feel is this. Okay, so that's a good example, fear and anxiety. Yeah, Marv. Perhaps a slash behind them might be worried. We all worry about the Yeah. So well, shall we just put worry in there with fear and anxiety? Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll just put we'll just put as many things in that circle as we can, right? Yeah. Okay. Worry. Yeah. That's another one. All right. What else? Illness or pain. Okay. Illness or pain, and that can be any kind of pain, right? Physical pain, emotional pain. Uh, any kind of pain. Yeah, somebody else says something. Yeah, Phil? Doubt. Doubt, yeah. Ooh, huge. And these are the things that really get our attention, right? They, 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 don't, seem, they don't seem to stop themselves, do they? Okay? They seem to be things that would keep on going. They would keep on making their presence known unless I stop them or there's some way, something outside of me that can stop them, right? All right, anything else gets in the way of that? Gets in the way of that, feeling that? Conflict, oh, that's a good one. You wanna say more about that one? <laughs> well, I think it hurts relationships. Yeah. You know, you, you, yeah. you have, maybe you're not gentle with the person. Yes. Perhaps that would be the case. And maybe some of it is, is that we neglect to exercise these, right? I mean, that could be too, is that sometimes I'm not feeling it because I'm not doing it. Uh, not again that it's about me, but it's just that, that this sense of um, sort of starving it in me or not practicing it or not uh, living it in some way. Okay, again, not to make too big of a deal about it. What about this one? 
What about grief? It's huge. See? And again, these are things that get in the way or create obstacles to my feeling that. But just because I don't feel it doesn't mean I don't have it. How would I know that? Yeah, because God's word says. So God, God makes these promises that you have it. And you see, that's where trust comes in and faith in the promises, which to some degree, I think sometimes we have to remind ourselves that the promises are there. Because if, if we don't continually send ourselves that message and, and convey that message to our children and to, our, to the people around us, particularly people that might be experiencing this, right? If, if that isn't our message, then after a while, the only message we have is the message that the world has. And the world, from John's perspective, is godless. And if you're godless then this is going to come and go, and, and the certainty that you would have in the reality of this is greatly diminished. So thank you, Peggy, for that question, because I thought about it not at all until yet till this morning during the sermon, and then I thought, okay, there it is. All right, so what we're going to do today is kind of talk about this as it relates to this, okay? So let's start in John 17. And we're at verse 11, and uh, we'll take it as far as that first paragraph goes. Jesus is praying, and he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and am not and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Who is the they? Who is the them? Bob? Yeah, so Jesus is at this point praying for the 12 that have followed him, right? And the clue that we would have to that is that he mentions that none of them has been lost except one. And not too vague reference there to, uh, to Judas, all right? So at this point, he's praying for the 12 or the 11, knowing that they are going to be uh, on their own after he rises from the dead and then eventually ascends uh, into heaven. So notice what he is praying that they would be able to be uh, the recipient of. He says that they may be one even as we are one. Oneness is one of those themes in the Gospel of John that makes its way all through. We've seen this. You know, John, John again, uses a lot of uh, metaphor, a lot of, uh, a lot of symbolism. And so when he uses this word one, what he's talking about is the seamless connection that, that Jesus, as a son of God, has to God the Father. It's seamless. Even though they're separate, they're still what? One God. That's what our our Athanasian and our Nicene Creed is all about. It talks about that, that this oneness. And so when you have oneness, what you have is a seamless flow 
of the, of the benefits and the gifts from one to the other. And so one of the best symbols of that is kind of this omega uh, picture, okay, or infinity if you want to think about it that way, all right? So the one that you have on your sheet has no beginning, no ending. That's the sense of it. But when we think about that in terms of, of, of God's relationship, God the Father's relationship to the Son, and then therefore the Son's relationship to us, it works the same way. That they may be one, that's us and Jesus and each other, as what? As we are one, the Son and the Holy Spirit and the Father together. So the way that, the, the best way to illustrate it is, is that everything starts with God. So this is like the, the symbol of the circle with the uh, triangle in it is like the universal symbol for God, all right? And so what does God do? He gives to us the gift of his grace. That's what it's all about, is that every single gift and benefit that we have is initiated by God. It is not initiated by me or you. And we would know that because, number one, we're human, and number two, we're sinful, and basically in our sinful nature, if anything's initiated, it is for my benefit, not for yours. But that's not how God works. How God works is that he says, my grace is there for you. And remind us again what that definition of grace is. Undeserved or unmerited or unconditional. That the love he gives to us the Spirit, all the benefits, the blessings, all of those things are ours by virtue of the love He has for us. So when He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Name is a big deal. Probably a bigger deal in these days than we would think about it in our days. Because in our day, we think of it as identity. We think of it as, oh, your family, that sort of thing. But what He's talking about there is, is that when we are in His name, then we are the recipients of all of the benefits and the blessings that we receive as a result of being in his name. When, when did you become part of his name? If you were baptized as a little baby, that's when, it, that's when it happened, right? If you came to faith later in life, that's when it happened. But the point being is that whenever that happened, now you are in his name. In fact, um, in the uh, original language, where it says, go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, it actually uh, says, baptize into, into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's a very, it's a very intimate thing. It's a very, um, it's a very uh, seamless thing in the sense of that we become part of him in the sense of being coming part of his name. So then what happens is God's grace comes to us. Here we are. I'll be... Uh, include everybody there, makes them all inclusive, right? God's grace comes to us, right? And how do we respond to grace? What is the response of grace in terms of that relationship with him? He gives and I what? Receive, right? He gives, I receive. That's what it's all about. His grace comes to me and how I know, and the Bible's word for receiving it is really what faith is, right? So faith is nothing more really than my responding to what God has initiated in giving his grace to me. And so when I give, my, when I have faith in him, then what happens is, is that my life 
is one of worship back to him. It's worship back to him. It's trust in him. It's leaning on him. It's, it's having faith in him. See, it's all those things, but what makes it possible is the, is the working of God's grace in my life. If God didn't give us the grace to begin with, there wouldn't be any impulse on our part to have faith in him. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, we might think, oh, I, I think there's a God. Oh, I, I hope that God likes me. I mean, we could say that, but there would be no assurance and no confidence that that God actually loves me. And see, that's the difficulty that a lot of people in our world today have, is that their view of God has been shaped by the fact that they don't trust in the grace. And if you don't trust, if the, if the grace in their mind isn't present, then you're left with pretty much of an angry God as opposed to a God that would love you. The presence of God's grace is what tells us that God loves us. So that's, uh, and again, this is kind of maybe old news for a lot of us, but it's always good for us to, to come back to that. And so when we think in terms of all these things, see, the, the source of all those things comes in this oneness relationship. And that's what he's saying to, to, to God in terms of the disciples, that because Jesus enjoys all these things with his Father, he's saying that you and I can too, and that we have them even if these things are going on in our lives, the fear and the anxiety and the worry and the illness and all those things, which are like real-life things, those things can take a hit to these things, but it does not eliminate those things because they come from God. See, they come from the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? You tracking a little bit with me? Okay. It's hard for me to read that because most of you are just like this. So. <laughs> All right. So a couple things here that sort of jump off the page as well in addition to the one thing. Notice he uses the word keep. I keep them in your name. While I was with them, I kept them in your name. I have guarded them. That takes us back to the part of John where Jesus talked about he was the good shepherd. Remember that? We talked about that. Remember, what was the keep in the desert? How did the, how did the shepherds keep the, uh, the sheep corralled out in the wilderness when they didn't have a corral? They didn't have anything out there. It's like, it's like wilderness. So how did they protect the sheep at night? How did they do that? Since when, would, since when would sheep ever listen to anybody's voice at night? Yeah, Phil, remember? Uh, they used, uh, used brushes, uh, brush and brambles. Yeah, remember that? Yeah, yeah. They would find these uh, uh, like uh, thorny sticks and, and brambles and that kind of thing, and they literally would make a corral. And, and the purpose of, the, of the, uh, the stickers on it was not only to keep predators on the outside, but it was to keep the sheep from wanting to jump the fence and go find some other thing that was way more exciting than being in the, in the, uh, in the corral. So, so that's what he, when he said, when he's talking about that, he's saying, you know, I have kept them. I'm the good shepherd. The, the good shepherd takes care of the sheep. The good shepherd is also the gate to the keep. Remember that? So the only way that anybody gets in is if somebody opens up the opening and Jesus is saying, I'm the opening. And so that's how you get into the protection of the, uh, 
of the uh, what? Of the uh, corral. Okay. All right. So now there's something missing up here. Something I didn't mention. What have I not mentioned? Oh, this right up here, right? I probably, now that I'm looking at it, that arrow is not correctly positioned. It would be like this. These are little things that bug me when I don't do it right. Okay, there we go, like that, okay? All right, so what do other people have to do with this? If this is really about me and my relationship with Jesus, by virtue of grace, I have been given the opportunity to come to faith. I came to faith, I worship him, and it ought to be enough that this is my life. What do other people have to do with this? Yeah, so what he also talks about is that that part of our worship life is also what? Loving our neighbor as ourselves. See, so when you think in terms of some of these things that we listed, and, and this one in particular, right, that, that what gets in the way very often of that feeling of the presence of God, the love, joy, peace, etc., can be conflict, but what it also can be is that I'm cutting myself off from serving my neighbor. If I cut myself off from serving my neighbor, then that has the potential of negatively affecting my relationship with God. Now, God is more powerful, right? He's stronger, right? But again, if I'm not living this life with my neighbor, and I'm thinking to myself that it really is all about me and Jesus, and Jesus and me, and sorry, you're going to have to get your own relationship with him, right? If, if, that's, if that's the attitude that I have, then basically what I'm doing is starting to close myself off from the opportunity to share that, okay? Have you ever noticed that when you try to love other people, it just kind of messes things up? <laughs> have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? Um, Luther's, uh, Luther one time said, uh, and I'll paraphrase, that if you really want to get into the Word and be somebody that's really strongly motivated to be in the Word, then the key to that is get into some sort of serving other people ministry. Well, what would be the point to that? Because when you're involved in serving with other people, what happens? Your frustration level goes up, your you know, potential for conflict, whatever it is, worry, whatever it is that you're dealing with. Okay, I always found that kind of humorous that... In, the, in church life, when we're promoting Bible study, what we ought to do is just promote service to other people, and then that will drive people into a Bible study as well because of the sheer frustration of it. Okay. All right. Let's keep on going here. Now, again, notice in verse 13, little note. Um, uh, but now I'm coming to you, these things I'm speaking in the world, that they may have What? My joy. Now, isn't it nice to know that Jesus is the source of the joy? And if you think in terms of Jesus as the source of the joy, why don't we think of Jesus as the source of all those things? And again, see what that does is that takes the pressure off of me to somehow be the perfect example of those things. It isn't even mine to begin with. The source is, is in him. And maybe the opportunity is in for me to do it, but he's the one that does it for me. Okay? All right, anything else uh, in there that jumps off the page for you before we move on? Okay, let's keep going. 
Next page. Let's see. Oh, well, we did kind of forget one. The world has hated them because they are not of the world. You know, I think that probably in Jesus' day and maybe to some degree in St. Paul's day, we would always reference that and talk about that as being something, oh, yeah, that happened so long ago. I kind of think that we're back in it. We're back in it. And so one of the things we might want to talk about is why does the world hate Christianity? Why would anyone hate the message of God's grace in Christ for all? Yes, thoughts on that? Uh, because they love sin. They love sin, yes. Why? Can you say more about that? Well, no. <laughs> Your statement was so profound, it, there probably isn't any more that you could say, well, right? There, yeah, there's the, the scripture about, you know, um, hiding your light and that um, when, you, when you sin, you want that to stay in darkness. You don't want that to be known. Okay. That's what you mean. Yeah. 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 But that could be terribly wrong. No, no, that's profoundly right. So we'll just go with that, okay? Yeah. Well, here's some thoughts about it, okay? Number, and, and, it, and this might be reasons that I would give, of course, because I'm coming out of my sort of Lutheran perspective, but maybe there's other thoughts you'll have about it, okay? So uh, why would the world hate Christianity? Well, because, number one, Christians believe that the Bible is the Word of God and that it doesn't just contain the Word of God. That's pretty absolute, and in our world today, the idea of absolute is like, are you kidding me? Okay? Because in the world today, the emphasis is way more on the idea that there's no such thing as an absolute truth. It's relative truth. So it's relative to your situation. It's relative to your upbringing. It's relative to your education. It's relative to whoever you run with. And so Christians don't go there. That's just, I mean, again, maybe some do, but if you start to do that to God's Word, you're chipping away at the very foundation and the very substance of what faith is about. In other words, how, do, how would we ever know about God's grace? How would the grace ever come to us if it doesn't come through the Word? So again, that's one of the things that already fundamentally uh, puts us in opposition with, uh, with the world. Okay, the second thing is that Christians believe that God's word is infallible. What does that mean? What's infallible mean? Without error. Without error. And it's the norm of life. So it isn't just some abstract thing that we say, well, yes, it is without error, but it is the norm for your life. It's what informs your life, even if popular opinion disagrees. And I assure you today, popular opinion way disagrees with that. I mean, in terms of uh, the teaching and preaching in churches, some of them, uh, did you had, are you aware of these uh, kind of Barna and uh, polls that have come out and been reported on in the last oh, month or so about people that are associating themselves as evangelical Christians? That's kind of the, the word now that's used to describe people that um, are not atheist is anybody that would be evangelical Christian is some high percentage like 56% do not believe that Jesus is the son of God okay and you think I don't even know if you could actually call yourself Christian anymore if you didn't believe that Jesus is the son of God but what see what the, partly what they think this is about 
is that that more and more uh, Christians are becoming secular Christians as opposed to becoming uh, sort of faithful Christians. So we, we are Christian in name only, but not in belief, not in, what we, uh, not in what we trust. Number three, Christians believe that God's word is absolute truth. I talked about that versus relative truth. And here's the kicker, that, and that truth brings life. Someday when we get to the end of John, there's actually a verse that goes with that, okay? But that's what that is, is that, that it's not just that, oh, we believe in truth because for truth's sake, it's that the truth that, that we're given by God is what gives us life. And that's life now, and that's life into eternity as well. Number four, Christians believe that Jesus Christ is the only Savior from sin and death. Um, I got to tell you, in our world today, that's offensive. And I don't mean in our world like out there in some foreign country somewhere. I'm talking about here in the U.S. That's offensive. Yeah. What do you think, in the, to me it seems like in the last year, it's like the world's turned on Christian or, or the U.S. has turned on. I know, isn't it? it's stunning, I mean, isn't it? In the last it? six months, I mean, it just seems like all of a sudden now you're the bigot, you're the prejudiced person, you're the, the bad person. Yeah, and we want to separate out what people are saying about Christianity per se and then what people are saying about some Christians, okay? Christianity is the thing we're talking about here. Christians are always going to blow it, okay? So just to separate the two, okay? So, yeah, uh, sometimes it feels like that um, we went to sleep one night and we woke up the next morning and everything was different. And we're going... How in the world did that happen? Yeah, it's, so much is up for grabs now in people's minds. But part of it is, is that if I go back to that first one, if I don't believe that the Bible is the Word of God, but I simply mean that it, uh, believe that it contains it, then already that means that I'm going to take the Word and I'm going to divide it up in terms of what is actually the word and what is not, what is inspired, what is not, what is the norm for life, what is not. And one of the things that's very popular that people do today with respect to a lot of social issues is they'll say, well, if Jesus didn't say anything about it, then it's not a problem. Even though St. Paul and the rest of the Bible says a lot about it. But the attempt is to somehow divide up the Bible and say, well, the, the part that's inspired is if Jesus said something and everything else was written by a man. And since everything else was written by a man, then it's subject to uh, error. It's subject to uh, some, que some question about whether you would believe it or not. And see, that's where I should probably, not, I probably should not have just said Christians, but I probably should have said conservatively biblical Christians. Because there's a number of people that would say they're Christian um, and they go to a Christian church, but they're very liberal in the way that what they do with the Bible. Okay, so I probably should uh, change that a little bit. So then number four, Christians believe that accepting God's grace in Christ means what? That you realize you're a sinner. And that kind of goes back to Leah, what you had said earlier, is that part of it is, is that I am not all that keen on admitting that. Now, by nature, I'm not either. I mean, all of us aren't. But part of it, too, is that when forgiveness is, part of the, is not part of the equation, 
then who in their right mind would ever admit that they're a sinner? Why would you? It'd be a lot easier to live your life in denial of being a sinner because the prospect of what happens with that is too great to bear. That's why forgiveness is such a wonderful gift because, see, once you know that you're forgiven, then you can do what? You can come clean. You can admit that you are a sinner and that you have need for God's grace, okay? But again, part of it is the idolatry of self and the pride that we all have and struggle with to say, well, yes, I'm a sinner, but the other guy is way worse than I am. <laughs> so I heard, oh, I heard this. Oh, what was I listening to? I forgot some interview. Uh, and, and they were talking to uh, the issue. I know I'm going to hate getting into this, but, I, but this is a good example of this. They interviewed this guy who was talking, they were talking to him about whether certain political figures were truthful. Okay? I know. Now, I'm the only one that gets to say this today. Nobody else gets to say anything about this. Okay. But, but this was so, I thought this was so, so uh, appropriate. So what the guy being interviewed said, he said, well, I know they all lie, but he's worse. Okay, now see, again, what are we doing? God. Well, we are, but, but in the sense of what are we doing? We're parsing it out and we're saying, yes, everybody's sinners, but he's worse. Isn't that what we do? That is totally what we do. And as long as my focus is on the idea that somebody else is worse, then I'm not inclined to admit my need for God's grace and God's forgiveness because... I don't really need it as much as that guy over there does. That's so human of us to do that, right? And so that's, that's the point I was thinking about was, wow, that just hit me right between the eyes. So here's the deal. The challenge for believers is how not to let the world's priorities, which kind of boils down to dependence on self for salvation, negatively influence or corrupt the spiritual priorities that you have from God's word. See, see, that's what he's talking about, and, and that's what he's praying for. He's saying, I'm going to heaven, but these guys are left here on earth in the world. They're not of the world, but they're in the world. And the problem that we have, or the difficulty, struggle we have, is that as long as we stay in the world, we will get bombarded by what the world says are your priorities for life, how you should believe, how you should be, what you should do who you should be friends with, what should be important in your life. All those things are constantly under, we're under the pressure of the world saying how it is. And the difficulty is because we have a sinful nature, a lot of what the world says fits what I already am inside of me. So it's like we have this sort of natural gravity that says, yeah, 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 you're right, that is. And God's word comes in and says no. This is the way. This is the way. And I think to some degree, Phil, when you mentioned doubt, I think that's some of the struggle of that, is that sometimes we, we, if you have a thousand voices coming into you that say this is the way it is, and then you read in the Bible and it says, no, that's not the way it is. I think humanly speaking, we think one voice versus a thousand and so to some degree, that would also say something about how much of our time and energy we spend in listening to the world. 
and being exposed to the world compared to how much time we spend listening to the Word and letting that also be a voice in there. Because if the only voice you're hearing is the voice of the world, eventually, after a while, you know, the friends you keep, that kind of becomes the voice that makes more sense to you. Thoughts about that? Yeah, Heather. There's very few things in the world today that people agree that are wrong. Yes. Yes. That's right. Sure. Yeah, I don't even think that the word sin shows up in the DSM. Do you know what the DSM is? That's the, uh, the sort of uh, big, thick book that uh, social workers and counselors and doctors and mental health professionals, school counselors use. It's, uh, it, it has all these diagnoses in it of, you know, mood disorders and all that kind of thing. Sin is not mentioned in that. All right, now, again, what, what, that's probably neither here nor there. But what Heather is saying is, is very true, is that in the world today, the list of what used to be considered wrong is getting less and less and less and less. And some of it has to do, again, with this idea that what the Bible says is wrong or what the Bible says is the foundation for right and wrong is getting traded for something else. Yeah. So again, see, when you're inundated with that message and when everybody around you is... uh, uh, is saying that, then doubts creep in. They, you start questioning, gosh, is this really true? And how do I know? And, and I'm not even experiencing it in life. How do I even know this would be the real thing or not? Okay? And that's when, again, that the strength of, of, of your exposure to, your immersion in the Word, and then with each other, that we encourage each other in the word and we talk to each other about our faith and stuff like that. Not just in Bible study, well, of course we do it here, but, but also out there, right? And that we encourage one another, we talk to each other about those things to, to be able to say that, how am I gonna, how can that be strengthened, okay? So a couple of things in terms of spiritual priorities, living a life of fear versus a life of love. Okay, living a life of not enough versus a life of sufficient grace. Living a life of what's in it for me versus a life worthy of the calling that you've received. See how radical it is? Christians live, if anybody ever tells you that you, you are living in another world, take that as a compliment because that is exactly right. We, the lens and the filter and the bias or whatever word you want to use to describe it, it is different, radically different, okay? But at the end of the day, it's what gives life. And if you don't have that life energy in you, then you got death energy in you. Yeah. Well, that, like the nomination of the Tony Barrett lady, I used to think it was from a Republican side, but the more I read and watched that, it was her Christian lens bothers them. Yeah. 
Well, it can. Well, you just said, but if you got a Christian lens, yeah, that's so offensive today that. Oh. Yeah, and again, I'm going to separate out what goes on politically, and also in the judiciary, because because we will talk about that some other day. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm not prepared to go there without it getting all mushed up. Because I don't want to make it sound like that we think that anybody that would be opposed to her nomination must be pagan. And sometimes what we say makes it play that way. Okay? So I think so that we don't say that. I want to be cautious about what I say or what you say, <laughs> and, and then reserve that for another time when we can kind of think it through a little bit before we talk about it. I think we have to talk about it. I think we should. But um, things are so volatile right now that no matter what you say is going to get blown way out of proportion. And, and then I kind of remember that we're doing a podcast too. So, um, you know, I like the idea of stirring people up, but at the same time, want to do it in a managed way. Okay, does that make sense? Want to say it that way? Yeah, I'm not dodging it. I just I want to make sure that um, we're mindful. Okay? Okay. You don't have to account for what you don't say. <laughs> you don't say it. You know, I wish that you had said that like 12 minutes from now. Because that would be the perfect thing to go out the door with. But. Yeah, okay. All right, well, let's get into the verse 15 and following, okay? He says, I do not ask that you, remember he's praying to, to, to his father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Here's a nice kicker. Your word is what? Truth. Truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent you into sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Does it surprise you that Jesus would say that uh, to his father? I'm not asking you to take them out of the world with me when I go out of the world. But rather what? That you keep them from the evil one. The evil one is whom? Satan, yeah, devil, okay. And so what is it about the power of the devil that Jesus would be particularly concerned about enough to where he would say, uh, keep them from the evil one? What, what bearing would the evil one have here on this? Change their training. Yes, again, remember we talked last week about Anfektun. How many of you looked up that German word besides Bob Orr? Huh? Barbara did. Oh, you couldn't remember it? Oh, yeah, that's right. And when I walked in, it was, it was, who erased this, by the way? You know, I know who did it. I'm going to reserve judgment, but I'll get him back. Okay. Yeah. So what, remember what onfectun means? What did it mean? It was a hard to translate, wasn't it? It was, yeah. So it, it just, it, 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 in the context of it, it's the, it is the temptations that are peculiar to persecution. So when you're under pressure to deny Jesus, or when 
the people around you are saying you are some simpleton because you believe in this stuff, okay? Then there are temptations that are specific to that that would be outside of the realm of other temptation. That's what Anfectun is. And so that is the devil's deal. The devil's deal as the father of lies is to get me to at least think that maybe the word really isn't relevant. That the word really isn't what it says it is, is the foundation for life here and in eternity. And if he can get me to doubt that and move not just from, oh, I have doubts, but doubt to the point where I don't believe it, then the devil will trade anything for that. And so you can see where Jesus is saying, protect them from onfectun. Because they would have to deal with persecution, not only from Jewish people, but also from, uh, from the government eventually. Okay? So that's a, that's a real uh, precious thing, that he knows where the real problem is. The, prob- the real problem is not the world. The real problem is the, uh, the, the uh, evil one in the world. Okay? So again, it's pretty clear when he says that the relationship that we would have to the word is trustworthy... And so that's why we believe in truth. And that we believe that the word is what it says it is. It is God's word, and it is the absolute truth. Okay, with me? Ready? Move on? Okay, next page. Now, he shifts from not only praying for the 12, but then for someone else. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may be one, there's that word again, one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be also in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly or completely one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Who's he praying for? Us. Us. Isn't that cool? Before you were even born, before you even anybody even knew you would exist, bam, Jesus has been praying for you and me. And he says that for those who believe in me by means of what? The word. See? So the point being that, it, let's say that, let's just pretend, let's say that after Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples all said, oh, well, what are we going to do now? And then Pentecost comes and goes, and even though the Spirit's with them, they said, oh, we better stay, we better stay indoors, lockdown, okay, we better stay indoors and not get out. What would have happened to faith in the world? would have stopped right there. Now, we could say, well, maybe God would have provided another way, angels or something, but that isn't how he did it. He gave them the word, and then he said what? As I have been sent with the word, so what? So I'm sending you with the word. It's the same word, right? But if the word stops with me, then the word doesn't get out. How's that make you feel? How's that make you feel? 
sort of responsible. Sort of guilty. Oh, whoa, there's a positive thought. Say that again, Ann. Empowered. Empowered. That's what I meant by responsible. <laughs> 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 Gotta get up and do something. See? And I worded, I worded, I go. I went down the guilt path. That's, of course, where I would go, sure. And then I was overjoyed when we got to hear the gospel part. Thank you so much. So say more, a little bit more about that. How is that good news that you're empowered? Well, we talked about it last week that God's going to be with us when we share. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is yeah. going to be with us when we share. Yeah. So we shouldn't be scared about it. You know, he will plant the seed and mm-hmm. he'll take over. And yeah. We shouldn't have fear. Yeah, I, I think we do because it's oh, human. Yes. I mean, we do that. But, but, but the idea that somehow it's up to me to say it right or to remember what not to say, you know, all that kind of stuff, then ends up, we end up talking ourselves out of it. Yeah. So how many of you are introverted? Okay. Have you noticed that sometimes there is an introvert in fear of talking to people and the fear of, like, what would they say and oh, gosh, I might send them to hell because of what I said. You know, there's, some, there's all these irrational fears that we have, and a lot of us who are introverted, we, we conjure them up inside our heads, you know, and then we believe them just because we're thinking them. I mean, that's kind of how we do it. Um, and, and so we are, I, I found that I have always been very envious of extroverts. How many of you are extroverted when it comes to what we're talking about? Some of you are f- afraid to raise your hand. I can see that, yeah. It depends on the situation, though. Does it depend on the situation? Yeah, it like, what would be an example of depending on the situation? Who you're around, maybe they're not as out there. Yeah. There's people you're really comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. When I was in seminary, I, I know I've shared this story a long time ago. When I was in seminary, they made us take an evangelism class. It was just part of the deal. And... It made sense if you're going to be a pastor, it kind of would be good to know how to do that stuff, right? Well, the guy that they had teaching it was uh, Pastor uh, Biesenthal. He was this evangelism guy that worked for the Synod. And he was about as uh, outgoing extrovert that ever could exist. I mean, he was excited and he was bubbly and he was inspiring and he's all those things. Probably everything that Pastor Coleman is is exactly what, exactly what he was, Okay. And so um, then part of the deal was, was that we take the class and then we had to go out and do a field trip, okay? And part of the field trip was, they don't do it anymore, but they did it, and this was in the late 70s, um, they, we did cold calls. Oh, that is introvert heaven, let me tell you, Okay. <laughs> And so my deal was, was to go up to somebody's door and knock on the door. And here's the way I did it. (laughs) And I was so relieved when no one was home. Yeah. Now, I know in that day, that moment, there might have been someone who needed to hear the story of salvation right in that that moment. And I failed miserably. They should answer the door then. Yeah, by golly, they should answer the door. If they wanted to hear the gospel, they should answer the door. Well, I'm, oh, I feel so much better. I've been carrying that guilt for 45 years. Oh, thank you. All right. 
But so there is a way to do it according to your personality, and maybe that's the way to think about it, okay? I'm terrible at cold calling anything, okay? But if I can establish some sort of a connection with you, and I'm willing to do that, and then uh, in the course of the conversation, uh, I know now how to manipulate the conversation to take it where I want it to go. It's a perfect deal. Not really. And, and so then you can, then you, that leads, one thing leads to another. And that's how I do it. Okay? So there is salvation here. There is hope for introverts. Uh, at, we're just going to be doing it differently than uh, extroverts do. Okay? I, ha- I have no idea how we got onto that. But, but oh, yeah, the believing through, through the word. Okay, well, let's finish it up, and then we'll end for today. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That is the most empowering thing when you think about it, is that all that we are a part of today, Jesus has been praying for in us before the foundation of the world. That's how long he's been praying for you and for me. And so to see the joy of that is, is that He's in us and we're in him and it's seamless and there's no distinction between the two. And that's why we can trust in that and know we have life. And we take the fact that we have life. We take that with us out into the world that does not know it. To some degree does not care about it. But maybe there would be a little crack in that dam. And maybe we could be in a position to share that with people. And maybe over time, people come around to saying, okay, you finally kind of got the best of me. You know, you wore me out, and I'm willing to listen. Okay, that's the good news. That's what, that's what God does for us. Any closing thoughts before we end for today? Okay, well, next week we start into chapter 18, which now begins more of the narrative of Jesus' arrest and ultimately his crucifixion. Okay, so we're, going, we're moving through this. Something else I'd like you to be thinking about is at some point we will finish John. <laughs> I promise that. And I don't really know what, I don't really have a specific plan for what would come after that, so I would like some feedback from you. Um, just know I might ignore it, but I would like to know what it is. But if you, you know, if there's a groundswell of interest in another book of the Bible or some sort of other thing, I kind of want to keep it in the, in the biblical realm. Okay, certainly that would make sense. But if you have some thoughts on that, um, feel free to email me or slip a note under my door or grab me in the hall or whatever it might be. Yeah, Peggy. That's what I was How about that? If, if there's a tremendous amount of interest in that, then uh, we can uh, do about a mm, three-week study on the book of Revelation. I think, uh, I think we could do that. I've taught it. I've taught it a couple of times, okay? And I think, B- is BSF doing that? Or somebody's doing it? Somebody else is doing it? So we could, so we could do, uh, you know, the second opinion class would be here if you're in BSF. So that'd be okay. Well, if, again, if... 
If that's of interest to you and something you really want to move toward, well, we, we could do that. Just because John wrote it. You know. Oh, that's the only reason? Oh, it is interesting. Well, that's true. But he also wrote First John, Second John, Third John, which are all about this big compared to... Rep. No, I'm not afraid of it, but I just want to make sure that it would be something that would be of uh, interest. Okay? So if it is... Are saying that BSF is doing Revelation right now or sometime? I don't know. No, right now it's Genesis. Oh, they have done it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it would be it would be from my bias. I mean, my bias is Lutheran, so that's I'm I'm not uh, ashamed of that. But I just always have to say that. Okay, well, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together today. Thank you for reminding us that you are in us and we are in you, and there is nothing changing that. And that comes as a gift of your grace. That initiating love. You reached out to us. We didn't want to have anything to do with you. And you have reached out to us. Uh, and you have given to us the gifts of life and salvation and filled us with the fruit of your spirit, all those things that uh, we celebrate today. Lord, it's a, it's a tough time now in our world. The world is not as uh, docile as it used to be in terms of its uh, rejection of Christianity. Nowadays, it's kind of in our face. And maybe on some, some level, we weren't prepared for that. Maybe we just thought, oh, it's going to be an easy road. And, and Lord, it turns out not to be. But remind us that we're empowered by your spirit and by your word. And that part of the deal is that we probably need to get back into the word in a more significant and, and uh, intentional way. So help us, Lord, to sort of filter out the voices of the world around us, not to ignore it, not to deny it, but just to filter it out so that we are not filled with doubt and worry and fear and anxiety, but that we uh, have in our hearts and in our minds uh, a word, which is your word, but a word of life and a word of hope. So give us that opportunity this week, dear Lord, in whatever way that would, would happen. And let us know that the good news is no matter what we say uh, uh, with uh, faith in our hearts and minds, that your spirit will, uh, t will take it from there and work faith in people's lives. Watch over us this week and be with us until we're together again. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room. Here at Messiah Lutheran Church, our mission statement is sharing his light. That means sharing the light that is Jesus Christ and telling others about his gospel. If you want to join us in that mission, please share this podcast with someone that may want to come and better know the light of Jesus. Use one of our past episodes as a starting point to start a discussion with someone, or use a past series as a personal Bible study or devotional for your family or small group. If we've given any value to you at all, consider leaving this podcast a rating and review on iTunes. That will help us climb the iTunes rankings so we may better spread the reassuring good news of Jesus Christ and continue to share his light with anyone willing to listen. Thank you again so much for listening, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.